listening to the New Century Multiverse, The Princess Thieves. Chapter 8. The Crone The cart proceeded from the portal and up the road for a time, now suddenly shrouded in a different kind of darkness, a different night sky overhead, one Viola was familiar with, having been born under it. At the point where the other travelling carriages wheeled around and turned south, joining the main road back toward their Londinium, this cart moved onto a small, deserted road and continued north. Ahead, a vast black shadow loomed into the starlight. It was trees. Hey, Tiny. Hey. Hey. Hey, you grumpy, pampered little champagne macaroon. What? Are you going to behave if I let you out? Do I have a choice? I guess you could start flinging that magic crap around and attempt to take control of the situation, despite being way in over your head. It's not magic crap, you oaf. What I weave is a series of spells so delicate and nuanced, you couldn't possibly comprehend their complexity. When I work, I'm performing mental surgery, you hammer-fisted bone sack. Okay, first of all... My hands are pretty dexterous. I'm a thief. That takes subtlety. Here's your hat when you want it back. Second of all, that wasn't supposed to sound derogatory. I was actually kind of impressed at how you handled that inspector. I thought I was going to have to tear him in two. You saved us an unpleasant confrontation and I wanted to thank you. You're welcome. Greenskin. You know what? Stay in the bag. I'm throwing your hat away now. We're approaching Camelot Forest. I just thought you'd like to see it in the moonlight. Through the aperture and the buckled flap of the Akos bag, the proud little dwarf watched as the trees grew nearer. Sure enough, the clouds had parted, and the valley into which they had ridden was bathed in a pale glow. The forest was dense and tall, and as they passed the threshold and found themselves under its leaves, a sound not unlike an enormous breath was let out. Viola trembled, her mind traveling through the stories of her childhood. These had fascinated her brothers and sisters, but only served to horrify Viola. Tales of child-snatching demons and half-men who had given their souls to beasts. All of them resided in the dark bowers of the forest, outside of the safety and lamplights of the villages. All of those creatures that King Arthur had driven back to the Northlands so long ago. The stories told of their slow, creeping journey back down to the Southlands, and where the brightness drew them forth. 
in order to retain purchase on their existence, it seemed to Viola that they needed us, just as a shadow cannot exist without a light. Now the moonlight came in shafts and bolts, pushing through the gaps in the whispering trees as their cart made its way along the old path. Viola tried not to scream, and for one wild moment, considered that the Aka would protect her. She dismissed this thought immediately. He would, in fact, present the greatest danger to she and her princess. No, what was needed right now was a plan. Let these two thieves talk until it became apparent where their weaknesses lay, and how she might return to Buckingham Palace, somehow not the treasonous witch who gravely endangered the future queen of the two realms. She would have to actively save Gwendolyn in order to survive this. On went the cart, drawn by a brown and white shire horse mare named Carrots. Carrots was none too pleased with their surroundings and kept her eyes down as she proceeded through the darkened woods, ignoring as best she could the sounds coming from all directions. They did not resemble animal calls of any kind she was used to, being born and raised in London. If anything, they sounded like voices from beings without mouths. Carrots pondered this contradiction, thankful of the hanging lamp mounted on the cart behind her, and trusting that should any of these mouthless beings turn up, the Aka would protect her. Within the trees ahead lay a craggy expanse, the monolithic edifice of an ancient fortress, now a half-formed ruin of its former glory. As the cart and its passengers passed under the hanging portcullis, the resignation of majesty to years of abandonment was palpable. Buckled pillars leaning this way and that like inebriated giants, torches dangled, devoid of purpose upon crumbling walls, their blackened heads long bereft of flame. There was an absence to the place, a sense that the air had been threaded with laughter and shouts of joy on countless occasions, now far beyond living memory. But it was not a place of death. The forest had made its home here, now that the original occupants had departed. Ivy clutched at the stonework, the boughs of trees snaked through the openings to the world outside, and every flagstone was framed with wild grass pushing through from beneath. The air hung with damp, woody odors, and the sounds of the nightbirds and insects reminded all who were there to listen that life goes on in some form, whether we interfere or not. Oberon stopped the cart and dismounted. Okay, we're here. You two... Get yourselves out. The trunk opened and Gwendolyn and Robin emerged into the darkness. Where's Viola? Still in the knapsack. She wasn't being very nice. Can you let her out, please? If we wait for her to be nice, we could be here rather a long time. Shh, keep your voices down. We'll wake her. We want to wake her. Viola's sleeping. Not Viola. We've come to see someone who dwells within these walls. Now, she's positively rancorous on the best of days, and we're going to ask her for a favor, so I want all of you ten times nicer than pie. Oberon unbuckled his bag and turned it upside down, dropping the dwart inside onto some moss. She glowered up at him but refused to speak. A light flickered behind a window, and the grumpy quartet could see more clearly that they now stood within the front courtyard, beside the gatehouse. A door, made of far newer wood than the decayed surroundings contained, opened up to reveal a tall, old woman leaning on a gnarled staff and dressed in grey, ragged robes that matched her peppery hair. She held up her lantern and glared at them. It's two in the flipping morning! 
What the bloody hell do you think you're playing at, Loxley? Megan, I apologize for our appalling timing. I know we woke you and this can't be at all convenient. No, it's not. I was having a luscious dream about a strapping farmhand with eyes like the sea after a storm asking me to help him shave. And then you bunch of bastards come blundering into my house and I'm never going to see that fellow again. We cannot apologize enough. Whatever we can do to make the place conducive for sleep as soon as possible, we will. Just tell us where to go. I'll tell you where to go. The barn. Your beds of hay are unmade where you left them. And who, may I ask, are these two? Well, that's the reason we woke you, and why we're here. On the run again. Yes, you see... Will you please introduce us, Loxley? I am Princess Gwendolyn Amelia Gertrude Victoria of the House of Saxe-Coburg and Gotha. Do you need all those names in case you lose one? It's so that the records can tell us apart from one another. My family were very keen on reusing first names. It's a pleasure to meet you, madam. I'm just old Meg. Nice to meet you too. Unfortunately, my house is not prepared for guests of such fanciness, since nobody warned me you'd be coming. But I've got a spare bed you can sleep on. You look knackered. I am, and thank you. Could my bodyguard sleep there too, please? Why not? Come inside, you two. Spitspot. You other two? Barn. Loxley, do you have a pocket watch? Yes. Good. Don't bother us for seven hours. The princess needs to sleep. Thank you again. Sleep well. Be off with you. Stable your horse and don't mess with the other one. We won't. Old Meg led Gwendolyn and Viola into her home, the lantern throwing warm orange light over stacks of old books as they passed. There were writing papers, piled within leather folders, bottles of substances with labels in a strange language neither of them recognized, and a fireplace in which embers were still glowing. She turned a corner and pointed to a doorway which led into a small bedroom containing a single bed which smelled of cats. Gwen thanked her and obediently lay down with Viola, who was still scowling. They were the oldest bedsheets Gwen had ever been wrapped in, and as the lantern was taken away and the door closed behind them, darkness enfolded the pair once more. The old lady called out as she walked away. Explain all this to me in the morning. I have a dream to recapture. Viola. Viola. This is something of an adventure, wouldn't you say? Good night, princess. The morning light played across Gwendolyn's eyelids, and she awoke with an immense grin on her face to see Viola, arms folded, sat at the foot of the bed. <sighs> what? Sweet dreams. I don't remember. You were hugging me pretty tightly in your sleep. Gave the back of my neck rather a lot of attention, too. Oh, I... And you were muttering names. It's probably just all the stress of the kidnap. Stay away from him. I will. No, wait, hang on a moment. Why? He's actually kind of sweet when you talk to him. He's got this whole act he clings to, but... Oh, I don't care. He landed us in all of this. He's the one we have to overcome to get out of it. He's nothing but trouble, Gwen. 
Are you... Are you jealous, Vi? Of that brigand? Not in the slightest. <laughs> he has something neither of us have. A death warrant? Freedom. Ha! Oh, you're serious. Princess, he's days away from getting caught and executed. But he could go anywhere right now, and I... I want to go with him. Viola, I do. I think I really like him and everything he stands for. This is preposterous. You're just about to inherit everything. Oh, I don't want it. I don't want to be Empress of Europe and Britannica. I don't think I ever did. Ow. They're never going to stop looking for you. You know that, right? They're never going to stop looking for you. Uh. It, it will have begun already. They will hunt us down. Kill him. And drag you home. And you? Oh, Viola, what will they do to you? Oh, I'll probably be executed along with him. For collusion. I won't allow it. Well, won't it be fun finding out if that makes any difference? You're ruining this. I'm ruining your kidnapping? My... My chance of a real life. Oh, what am I going to if do? If you two are up already, I've got breakfast on. Mmm. Bacon. Yeah, come on. Blasted heads. Don't ruin this for me. Meanwhile in the barn, Oberon was feeding carrots to carrots, not literally, that would be hideous, and trying to talk some sense into his companion. She's going to bring all of London down on our heads, Rob. She's nothing but trouble. Ah, but she's so much more fun than you'd think a princess would be. You should talk to her. This ain't about fun, you scabberlotcher. You're playing with fire, figuratively and literally. They'll have the whole army combing two countries. So I suppose... We just figure out how to get the ransom conveyed as quickly as possible. Get the gold to Scarlet, get Gwendolyn to the church on time, and say goodbye. It's a sound plan. Everybody's happy. Consider sneaking her back near the palace and then just cheesing it. We don't need attention like this. Far beyond just your life and mine, it could ruin our whole enterprise. A lot of people tied up in that. A lot of heads on the block. It's not as easy as that, old boy. We're already on the ropes. The hoods, I mean. The factories. We need a lot of money very quickly, and there's no way of getting it without making somebody very rich, very angry. I'd say, with their assistance, we may have, uh, well, not the perfect crime, but one with fewer victims, more goodwill, and a pretty sizable reward. For Scarlet, I mean. Speaking of which, we're jumping to Scarlet's tune. Jumping for that crazy Albanian woman. I think jumping is what wrecked her ceiling. Now we're jumping for old Meg. I'm sensing a pattern here. I do like strong women. Yeah, but you're rolling over for them each time they raise their voice to you. Feels like you have no control over what's happening to us. It's all driven by their iron whims. And if they are your conscience, and your impulses are the deciding factor when one of them isn't around, Rob, who are you in all this? What would you have me do, dear John? Oberon! Barge in here in the dead of night, take over the place, set it up as our base of operations, do things the old-fashioned way, and start barking out orders to our merry men, depose Scarlet, trample everyone with a lick of sense that we're involved with to get what I want. What do you want? I want... Ooh. Bacon. You smell that? What time is it? Nine. Let's go.
Five days left. Around that same time, Archduke Coriolanus paced in a palace hall. The captain of the watchmen standing before him with grim intentions. Baltus, this is not a matter of discussion nor a call for subtlety or moderation. Gwendolyn is either alive or she is dead. If she is alive, then no matter her condition, we may still pluck her from the jaws of calamity. If she is dead, I want those responsible punished in ways that haunt the nightmares of all who learn of their fate. This is our binary course. You have five days to bring her back to us. Do whatever you believe is necessary. Yes, your grace. Send in the female on your way out. Baltus's brow furrowed at this, and he bowed curtly and stalked to the end of the hall. As he exited through the magnificent double doors, and before the words had left his lips, the human lady waiting in the reception chamber had moved past him, sashaying up the hall towards the Archduke. She was clad in a long purple leather coat, mm, nice, under which various weapons and devices were stowed away in holsters, ooh, even better. Her shining black hair hung in a pair of French braids which ran all the way up to the center of her forehead, though this fact was obscured by an elegant bowler hat. She cut an imposing figure that was notably a foot taller than Baltus, and as he spoke she kept her golden eyes locked upon Coriolanus. The Archduke will see you. Well, obviously. Go join your little army in good hunting. Watch your toe, woman. You just wasted four seconds gawping at my rear. Toodlepip. Hiring you is foolhardy and a waste of time. I shall be the one who succeeds. Of course you will. The Archduke has total faith in your extensive connections and abilities. That is naturally why I'm here. Why are you shouting in my chambers? Greetings, your archness. You will address me as your grace, and have a care with your words. A thousand pardons, your gracefulness. I would like to remind you that I am currently undergoing the most upsetting day of maybe my entire life. And bear in mind that I have led armies to war. Couple that with the fact that I was also not blessed with an abundance of humor. It is only your track record that keeps you from being, at the very best, ejected from this palace in the next few moments. The very worst involves defenestration, and is more of a height modifier on the very best. But time is short and you don't want to have to spend today locating the second greatest bounty hunter in London. I can tell you right now, my services are worth the impropriety and indignity of conversing with me. Besides which, Second best Smithson is unremittingly flatulent due to his diet of chicken livers, so it swings and roundabouts. Some part of you is going to feel assaulted meeting with either one of us, but I assure you that despite my abundance of character quirks that I am most dashedly professional about what I do. So what say we get to the point, Archibald? What do you know already? A missing princess disappeared from her bedroom last night. No signs of forced entry, so it's presumed she has either run off of her own accord or been spirited away by persons unknown. Can you give me any good reason other than that she's about to get married and become an almighty empress as to why she might run away on her own steam? Her mind is often adult. She has fits of temper and delusion. She may, in fact, not come quietly at all. Which is why you don't want to just send that flaming rhino out to get her. Correct. Baltus is a sledgehammer 
and will beat his way through two worlds until all is flattened. That response serves more than one purpose for me, but I need you to be a scalpel. Root out those who may have been involved. Use your connections, your underground networking to locate her and whomsoever she is with. I can offer you 2,000 gold. That's almost a king's ransom. I will add a bonus multiplier depending on the girl's state of mind. If she is horribly traumatized by the whole affair, you get less. If she is ultimately relieved to return, you get more. This is contingent on your methods and approach. Do you need weapons? Men? Both. Every single day. But I can acquire the ones I need without help. One more thing. This information is for your ears only. Gwendolyn will most likely be accompanied by her bodyguard Viola Hearthstone. She is a duart, capable of some exceptionally strong mind magic. I discovered this myself many years ago, long after she had proved herself capable to her tasks, and decided to trust her to use these abilities to continue to protect the princess, keeping this magical aberration a secret so as not to unsettle the palace staff, the gentry, the people of England. I am now wondering whether I shall regret that course of action. Though Viola has proved dutiful and has helped my daughter immeasurably, she may have broken our bond of trust. Hmm. She's a mind mage, you say. Or what if things get very difficult? Well, I have no contingency besides you. So you must do what it takes to recover Gwendolyn above all else. The conspirators who took her may be dealt with as you wish. The princess and her bodyguard, are they friends? The closest. Leverage then. Agreed. For both of us. This shall be your last resort though. And your intuition is sound. Gwendolyn will most likely do anything to prevent harm to her companion. Listen carefully. If Viola has become treacherous and looks to harm Gwendolyn or keep her from returning, kill her. Find my daughter. Bring her back to me. Please. You have been listening to The Princess Thieves. Written, edited, and produced by Alex Shaw, with a full cast. A big thank you once again to Andrew Natan, this time for his review of Tiger's Eye on the Kindle Store. He is honest to a fault, and I've never, ever managed to get a 5 out of 5 review from him before, so this feels like a really hard-earned win. Andrew is still on the name list, with four weeks to go until the prize draw to get a character in New Century named after you. The cast for this episode were Narrator 1 and Old Meg, performed by Maureen Foley Narrator 2 and Captain Baltus, performed by Spencer Lieb Princess Gwendolyn, performed by Theo Lee Robin and Archduke Coriolanus, performed by Alex Shaw Viola, performed by Loretta Saylor Oberon, performed by Matt Wardle 
Mortimer, performed by Sharon Shaw. The Princess Thieves' theme was Arrival by I. Sazanoff of Shockwave Sound. Rans de Vache is an old Swiss folk tune and features in Rossini's William Tell. Egmont Overture by Ludwig van Beethoven. Both reorchestrated here by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com, who also composed Dance of Questionable Tuning, Perspectives, and Angevin. Many soundscapes provided by Tabletop Audio. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon, and our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you to Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Angus Lee, Anthony Flores, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Datchler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G, Josh Waster, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Marty Huey, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Robbie Crow, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. Those of you who listen to School of Movies or are on my Patreon will already know that this week I was struck by calcific tendonitis, which means calcium collects and solidifies in the tendons of the shoulder, making it impossible for me to move my right arm without screaming in pain. The only way I was able to finish this week's episode was that it was already mostly done and Sharon helped me with the rest. I honestly don't know when I'm going to be physically capable of the kind of manually dexterous editing that New Century requires, though I will keep everybody posted and continue to put out a no-frills version of School of Movies every week as I have other people to help me with the basic editing for that. Unfortunately, the editing of New Century is far, far too complex a task to delegate even to the very supportive fans, including some cast members, who have offered to assist. I will continue being able to write The Princess Thieves, dictating to Sharon or using voice software. Whatever happens, we will find a way to finish this story in audio form somehow. It'll just take longer than I'd hoped. Meanwhile... If you want to know what you can do to help, the thing that will make me happiest would be for you to review the podcast and the books on iTunes and Amazon. They really need the appreciation. It would certainly speed up my recovery. You can also introduce your friends and families to The Princess Thieves, which definitely needs more love and more listeners. And as you all well know, it is a great entry point to the New Century series. And hey, when they get up to this episode, there's four other books to delve back into. That message was from mid-2016, and I was out of action for about four months waiting for medical attention. In the end, one tiny little steroid injection turned agonizing, grinding, jabbing pain, which rendered my arm useless, into, oh, I can move it now. It was all I needed, and that's with the NHS. At this point, in early 2022, I'm okay. Touch wood, touch wood, touch wood. 
The calcific tendonitis has come back over the years. At different parts of my body, it afflicted my elbow, my other elbow, my other shoulder, my hip, my knee, and I've had various injections. It's probably going to be what eventually puts me completely out of action, but I will still endeavor to create. <laughs>